Data Mesh Radio is provided as a free community resource by Data Mesh Understanding. It is produced and hosted by me, Scott Hurlman. I started this podcast as a place for practitioners to get useful information about Data Mesh, and we're at over 200 episodes. I've now left Data Stacks, you know, thanks for all their help in founding things, but I've left to start Data Mesh Understanding, which is also helping practitioners to get to the information needed to do Data Mesh well. We have free implementer introduction and roundtable programs, in addition to the more advanced yet affordable offerings. So please do get in touch if you're looking for more information on how to do, how to approach Data Mesh. Just check datameshunderstanding.com for more info. There's also a helpful organization of past Data Mesh radio episodes there if you want to dig into specific topics rather than digging through 200 different episodes. So with that, let's hit the funky intro music and listen to what you'll hear about in this interview episode. In this episode, I interviewed Jose Cabeda, data engineer at Call Center as a service provider talk desk. We talked about talk desks start to their data mesh journey and progress so far. Let's start with Jose's key takeaways and recommendations. Number one, change will be constant in a data mesh implementation. So it is best to standardize the way people and systems will interact as much as possible. Define expectations. This is a through line that comes up in many data mesh conversations, the importance of communication channels and setting yourself up for success. I think we haven't had great ways of communicating in many organizations around data. So really making it clear those channels is is pretty important. Number two, be open to new ideas. There are many challenges ahead, so it's best to face them together. You can't know everything ahead of time, and you need to be open to new perspectives. That's part of the whole thing with data mesh of conscious design for unexpected use. Number three, use a single universal ID for major concepts like account or business events to make interoperability easier or even possible. This one makes good sense, but it does limit some domain autonomy. I think it can make sense when you are selling one type of service, but may not for something with very different account granularities across many different business lines. So I think this is important to think about where this can work and and where it can't. Number four, don't be afraid to slice your data in different ways to serve different use cases. I think this is where a lot of people are going with the data product concept that you would collapse those multiple views or tables into a singular data product with you know, one or a few output ports rather than managing them kind of at the individual view or table level as that being a data product. Number five, to drive buy-in, start with a single use case, whether that is a data product or multiple data products. So you can show why data mesh is a good idea. Most people recommend two to three data products in your POC, but I think that can still fit with a single use case. You know, if you look at DPG Media, they had a, a few different data products that were feeding into one use case for their uh, initial POC. On TalkDesk's journey, Jose came across 
Jamak's original post, and it spoke to a number of the challenges TalkDesk was facing, checking many of the boxes to where they wanted to head. This team started from that single data product, building their platform to mostly solve for that initial data product and iterated from there. While they are still relatively early in their journey, like every company, honestly, they have advanced far past that initial use case. At TalkDesk, a data product is typically a single table or view in Snowflake, but the company's North Star is event streaming as the key information storage and sharing mechanism. It was interesting to me how Jose talked about so much of the data products seem to be consumer aligned, almost like the data is available to create data products as kind of one big mesh of event streams rather than so many producer aligned data products themselves. I should have poked at that more and will in a future column, I'm sure. They are also trying to align most of their data products to be the same as those used by customers to limit drift. So what they are seeing and what their customers are seeing is the same thing. I think that's an interesting concept that uh, should be explored more in, in future calls as well. One interesting insight, it was sometimes difficult to train people to understand the difference between that business event, you know, something that occurred in the real world and an event streaming event. So think about how you communicate that internally if you're using a mostly event streaming type of approach to data mesh. I think Jose's message of togetherness and working as a team to drive buy-in and, and kind of execute on your data mesh plan really resonates. Yes, easier said than done, but it's still a good goal to aim for. I think you'll really enjoy this one. Okay, enough of just me. Let's hear from our awesome guest in this interview episode. Super excited for this episode today. I've got Jose Cabeda, who's a data engineer at TalkDesk, and he has been doing a couple of things uh, externally, sharing TalkDesk's journey with Data Mesh. Uh, very excited to, to kind of walk through a lot of different things about what happened uh, in the early days, what learnings they've had, kind of share uh, what, what we can take from what they've done for the community as well as just kind of talk about some interesting topics around data mesh. So, um, Jose, if, if you don't mind, if you could give people a bit of an introduction to your background, and then we can start to talk about um, how you got involved with data mesh and kind of where the journey's gone from there. Hi, Scott. Um, thanks for the invitation first. Um, as you said, I'm, uh, I come from Talkdesk. I'm Jose Cabeda, and uh, currently I'm working from Portugal, from the Porto wine city for those that like uh, wine um, and for the couple last couple of years I've been really focused on data uh, when joining TalkDesk uh, I started doing a kind of a bridge between the analytics team and um, the data platform that um, TalkDesk has internally and 
for the last months, I've been helping with the development of the data platform itself for TalkDesk. That's great. And and how, how long has TalkDesk been on kind of the data mesh journey or were they on a journey that was similar to data mesh and then kind of decided, oh, th- this, this matches with what we're doing. And so we're going to start to use this terminology or how, how did that all kind of evolve? Uh, it's kind of a funny story because um, I read the article when it came up. Um, it actually, I think it appeared on Hacker News. That's where I saw mm-hmm. it first. And it just ticked uh, multiple boxes that uh, we were working at the time. Um, we started at the time we wanted to create a data product. Uh, we wanted to make um, the data available to the TalkDesk client. And uh, at the same time, we decided that uh, we needed to make sure that uh, we breached the, the gaps between the operational data, the real-time data, and the um, more historical data for the couple months and years. And that's where <laughs> we actually found out that there was a thing, data mesh, that tried to have all of these, the operational plane, uh, the analytical plane, having the um, multiple databases instead of a centralized one. And uh, it's just ticked boxes. I started um, talking a, a bit about this with my colleagues. And uh, yeah, it's been a kind of a road down with the same goals, but we just bumped into this uh, while we were going uh, in the development of a data product. It, it's funny because of how many people... All right, I'm going to start that over. It's, it's funny because of how many people... Um, have a similar story as we were trying to accomplish this thing and we were trying to figure out how we could do this. <laughs> how could we go down this road? And then they read the data mesh article and go, oh, okay, this is a complete picture instead of us trying to to pick off um, all these different things one by one. I can see where this where Jamax laid out that this problem or this solution would cause this problem. So then you have to add this solution, which would then cause this problem. So you have to add this solution to, to deal with that. And we're still going to have issues, but that they're kind of known knowns. There's, there's this phrase of, of known knowns and uh, known unknowns and unknown unknowns. And, you know, or, data mesh gives you known knowns and a lot more of known unknowns. It's like, here's the things where you're going to have these challenges. Um, so, so I, I like that story, but um, how, how did this then start to, to, to get propagated throughout the team? You know, you said you kind of were passing the article around and people started to do that. How, maybe how did you start to drive that buy-in internally? Did you drive it with, were, people all on board from day one, or did you have to kind of hold some hands? Um, we had a, yeah, you had the data product that we wanted to make sure that uh, the clients had uh, access to all the data. And uh, for this kind, we we decided that we needed to have the real-time databases, but we also needed to provide um, the data, uh, the cold storage access to the data. And so, uh, from days, almost I would say day, day one, we decided that we wanted to work with Presso. Um, now it's been renamed to Trino. Um, and this was a technology that allowed us to provide um, a single interface, a SQL interface. And 
we use connectors to connect to, to different databases. So what happened was that uh, we decided, okay, everyone is going to work with the SQL engine. Um, this is uh, this will be the the interface for the clients for creating the the dashboards. We were using Looker for this, uh, and so it, it started from the I would say it started um, up to the bottom, um, and we started to add the MariaDB is a database for real time, and we at the streaming uh, applications that were moving the data to these databases. And we had Trino connect and get this data. But uh, after some time, we have more operational needs uh, understand how many calls uh, the client has done for the last year, for example. And for this, uh, after some time, what we did was pick the real-time data, move it to cold storage. And this was in um, Hive, uh, Apache Hive, and for this, we also had another connector. But for the client, for the dashboards, everything was in a single interface. It, it was like uh, getting two tables, do a, sing a simple join of the data, and we got a very holistic uh, view of all the data. And we have been organized with this um, gateway as we start up from this, and uh, everything comes down uh, from that decision. And, and so this was your first data product, right? And, and so, you know, it, Data Mesh is about kind of creating multiple data products and thinking about that. Like, how did the organization um, take to the, the Data Mesh concept? You know, it's like, oh, okay, we created one very valuable data product, but... What do you mean now operational teams have to start to create additional ones? Like, how did that driving buy-in happen? Um, yeah, um, what uh, we try, and um, this is the main goal, the North Star, is talk task is event-driven. So this is the basis where we say that for every product, for every action that we, um, we have and that, that we run, we also have an event associated with it that is um, created. And uh, the, the data platform that was built around this first data product, what uh, does is it has um, a Kafka cluster. Um, this is a message broker to process all the events that are being created. So, uh, simple things like um, a call that started and the call finished. These are two events, but uh, say where the call began and where the call finished. And for this, what uh, we do is we process these events. Everything, again, um, hopefully everything is created for events. And uh, what we try and do is with the data platform, we start to materialize these events into tables. Um, and as the every, every product <laughs> needs to create events, they have their own data sets, their own databases for the product itself. But they also produce these uh, events. And um, in this way, we get uh, a complete view and we get every team on board as long as they produce events. And, and when you think of events, there, there's an emerging concept in Data Mesh about, you know, there's events relative to event streaming and there's business events or domain events, as in something happened, right? 
Now you can create uh, something happened and that creates an event for the event streaming. But like, how are you finding people understanding that they have to share the concept of something happened and that you you're modeling that. So around the thing that happened rather than I'm modeling, you know, especially like CDC or, or things like that, it's something changed in the application storage, not something happened in the real world. Um, yeah, for this, this is tricky uh, yes. <laughs> from the get go. And it, it still is, <laughs> but, um, this is always um, a moving target. Uh, but what we try to do is, um, for for the beginning, um, we had a, a timeline to deliver and everything. So we, the team itself, worked with the um, worked with the event, worked with the final user, with worked with the um, the, the data owners, the the ones that were developing the product, and decided we start to decide. Okay, uh, these three events define what is an interaction. Uh, mm-hmm. And the interaction in the context of a talk desk is nothing more than a client starts a call, but actually it can start with the um, talking with uh, the robot, and then it goes to the waiting queue, and then it goes to uh, an agent, to another. And everything from the picking up the call to a final resolving the problem, this is a single interaction. And something like this, the, the interaction took a bit of effort uh, to define what was the interaction, what is this business um, meaning, uh, this business model that we need. And this um, this can be quite hard. But what we are trying to do now, that we are trying to uh, build the data platform, is we have the data platform. We build the tools for uh, to make it easier. Uh, but actually, the, the ones that understand the, the data better are the owners of it, the, the the ones that are developing the product. So if you have a new product that is appearing and we need a new data set for um, uh, with the, the business logic, we strive to. They talk with the team. We give them the tools. The they have they are building their product. They are creating their events for the product. For the they are building for the release, and hopefully when they release the product, we have every, uh, the events. We have defined the processor of all these events into a, a single or two two data sets that are needed, and we try and materialize these events and make it available for the client itself. So. Uh, that we get insights into how the product is faring, and the clients, as soon as they start using the product, they can actually get some uh, insights into the product itself is working on. Uh, I would like I can give an example. I could give an example like um, uh, let's see um, if we, we have the um, transcriptions of the um, the calls that mm-hmm. uh, this. This is a uh, this is could be this is a feature, but when it's released, uh, if we have the events, we can actually materialize and say, uh, okay, for these 100 calls, um, we've provided 50 um, 50 transaction uh, tra- transcriptions of the text of what actually was being said. It's here. Uh, 
you can see insights of um, which transcriptions you have, and uh, they can have some insights if uh, it's being used, the transcriptions, how many calls are uh, have the transcription, and some kind of insights into this. Yeah, but this, I think maybe it also might be helpful. Uh, sorry, I, I kind of jumped into the data mesh side. What, like maybe a little bit of an explanation of what TalkDesk does, so that way people can understand the context with what we're, we're talking about. Could you give a quick yeah, overview yeah. Of, of what TalkDesk does? Um, yeah, so uh, for every company, um, usually they have a, they need support uh, for their clients. Um, I would say Amazon, uh, if something goes wrong, they need to call a number and try and, uh, or get to a message and send some message. And this is a contact center um, that Amazon has. Uh, but most companies don't actually, aren't capable of creating their own data sets and building everything from the ground up. When, what Talkdesk does is provide a cloud uh, service where each company can um, create an account, uh, get some phone numbers, some, um, uh, some uh, message numbers, uh, even if they want to provide some support from Messenger, WhatsApp, uh, and everything. And they can do everything um, from Talkdesk. So okay. uh, all the interactions with the, with the company can be done through Talkdesk. Yeah, so it's, it's call center SaaS. It's basically yeah. the company would hire the people to do, or maybe even outsource that, but that the, that they would have people that are going to actually answer the questions, but everything else is, uh, is delivered via talk desk or, or pretty much everything else. Right? Yeah, we, how customers interact and stuff. We like to call it a Cash or contact center as a service uh, yeah. to make it simpler. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That makes sense. And um, a lot of this, it sounds like you're creating data products for your customers, but you're also creating them for internal use. And so are you finding that the same views that you share with customers where they can see, oh, here, here are my metrics or here's, you know, whatever, if they want to dig into the transcripts and things like that, are you finding that the what they want to consume is the same as what internal people want to consume? Or do you have to do those completely separate? Because typically the business uh, data expectation and the business data you know, uh, requirements are relatively different than what the customers want. I hate to say it, but uh, it depends. <laughs> <laughs> That's, I would say that's the answer everyone needs. Um, for some things like um, uh, we try and, um, and this is from the experience uh, when working with the analytics team, uh, the BI team, uh, we try and use as much as possible the, the data sets that are provided to the, the clients. We try and uh, use the same data sets because we have the it's easier to have the metrics and use the data source and avoid um, uh, drifts in the analytics, having two teams having a different um, metrics. But nonetheless, uh, what sometimes happens is we need this for 90% or 95% the data sets uh, themselves are enough. For other, um, for other cases, um, we need to do a bit more work um, and for this, what we 
have is aside from the data platform, the analytics, analytics teams can do is have um, some uh, bad jobs that uh, work uh, with these data sets and uh, get the events uh, or even for external services like um, Salesforce that can't be actually materialized into the data platform itself. We need to bring it using um, tools like Fivetran. Um, and for that, we need to do some uh, uh, some, ex uh, some extra work for that analysis. Or even for performance reasons, sometimes uh, um, we have data sets <laughs> that are quite large, um, like uh, let's say the table calls. Where we have every call that is happening uh, in the company. <laughs> this this uh, this can get quite large. Uh, we can have millions and millions of calls uh, in a day, and if we need to do a join with another table, this can get quite heavy. And for some analysis that uh, need to be done for year year over year, uh, what we try and do is create some PDTs or. Um, some materialized views that uh, bring it all into a single table and um, does the the work uh, proactively for us. That makes sense. And and let's talk about the data platform journey as well, right? You you said one thing that I thought was interesting, and and I want to talk about how you you take the initial data data platform that you used and then made it extensible. So. You said um, that you built the data platform around the first data product. And so, you know, there's a thing in data mesh of people getting them way too far ahead of themselves and trying to create the data platform for all use cases for all people upfront. And that's just a terrible idea for a lot of reasons. But um, you also, you, you kind of created as a, purpose-built platform for this single data product, if, if I'm in, uh, interpreting you correctly. So please do correct me if I'm wrong. But how did you then take that and start to make it so that it could be used by additional other um, data product requirements? And how have you evolved that data platform? Let, let's start with the, the initial of building the, the initial platform, just because there's like 14 questions in there. So let's talk about building the initial platform. And then how did you start to learn to extend it for, for additional use cases? Um, yeah, uh, for, uh, for the initial use case, um, the, in this case was to make the data available for the, um, for the clients themselves. Um, for this, uh, we had to do some optimizations that uh, just don't work for every kind of use case. Uh, something like, as we are working for account by account, we started to um, uh, partition the data for by account. But this doesn't actually work when <laughs> we need to do uh, some analysis on the whole data for dual accounts. The, these optimizations can uh, <laughs> can uh, make the the um, the queries kind of heavy, and for uh, what we are working and um, still are working on uh, is to try and make it possible to materialize the data in multiple ways. Um, we try to define uh, some simple data sets, like um, uh, we can pick up the the calls data set. Uh, it's materialized in a certain way that it's available for the um, for this single product. But now we have the analytics team that uh, needs to do have uh, different cases. 
So what um, we're trying to is provide the data, data platform tries to provide is um, to build tools to build more upon it. Um, and for what what this actually means is everything is an event. Um, so this is being processed and we try to um, do is from the same stream, you can build multiple tools, have, uh, multiple tables. Um, so in this case, uh, the, um, the end user, the, um, each customer can have it, his table. If we need to have uh, something more, we can. Uh, we have the tools to build a materialized view that uh, can bring um, can bring it into a separate table that is optimized for different use cases. Um, if we need to have uh, add an additional um, column that is needed for more analysis by another team, we can actually pick up the stream pick, uh, that is doing most of the work, add an, the event to um, add the event from another stream, uh, join two streams, and from the uh, from there on materialize these new um, transformation that we are working on and materialize it into a table. Not sure if I'm getting too technical for this, but no, no well, but I, I think this is is useful as well. But it sounds like for a lot of this, who, who is managing the these schema? Because it sounds like, or is it the data engineering team doing that, or or is it the the producers are are then tasked with managing that, or is it the consumers saying, okay, I've got this this data that I want, and I'm going to now own this data product itself of the, the table or the multiple tables kind of grouped into one data product. Um, what, uh, this can be a mix up. Um, if the data set needs to be materialized for, um, the new, we have the new product, uh, the team wants to make uh, the data available for the clients. They can build a data set and the data, uh, the data uh, team, to, to the product team, is the owner of this data. Uh, they are the ones responsible for um, the, that stream and the materialization of the table for the end user. But uh, reporting team, uh, for example, that is responsible for the first initial product, might need to add something. They can have their data set and in this case they are the owners of the of the, of the data not the data teams but um, the reporting team if the analytics team needs a table and uh, it isn't enough for some reason okay uh, you need a new table but you are now responsible for it um, and we each team that builds the data set on the data platform is responsible for it uh, we try to to bring it uh, as much as possible to the product teams. Uh, but as I said, this is a work in progress and um, uh, we are getting there um, and making it as self-service as possible and easier as possible. That's really important for a data platform that is being built on uh, because we need to sell the product uh, internally. You can just say uh, for, every data pro uh, for every product team, you now have this extra work. You have your product that you need to make sure that uh, is working okay, but you also need to materialize the data and then you have to be responsible for the data set. We need to make make it as easy as possible for them to um, 
start materializing the events into the data sets and make it available. We can just say it's mandatory for everyone. Um, yeah, what I've been saying is if you're adding more responsibilities uh, to a team without adding more resources, right, and that platform is, is a resource, if you're just adding more responsibilities, teams are already overloaded, that you're just going to lose people, people are not going to be bought in, you know, it's, it's just, it's not a nice move to say you now have this additional responsibility without giving them the ability to do it, right? Yeah. This is, uh, this is one of the major points. Uh, we need to make the platform as easy, almost as a click of a button uh, or the addition of um, for the teams of a library that actually starts to produce events. Um, we need to make it as easy as possible for the development flow to uh, go on and uh, not making as a, a major block for the global release of the products. Uh, and, and how are you making, uh, how are you handling the interoperability challenges, right? When you think about, uh, is it that you're, you have like an event standard that everybody has to produce events in this way? And so that way you can do interoperability upstream versus if you've got tables and somebody needs to you consume that table, somebody new is consuming that table and they want to combine some of that data with another table. Like, how do you get it so that they can have interoperability between those those two tables? Is it, you could talk about combining streams. So like just trying to figure out what you've been doing to make it so that, that people can actually combine data from, from multiple sources, because otherwise you just have high quality data silos. <laughs> yeah, the, in, in our case, um, I would say there are two things that uh, we try and do and are working on. Uh, and the first one is that to actually be able to join the, the streams and make it um, the data as uh, make it available to aggregate and uh, to join to make some insights from different databases and different products. Uh, what we strive to do is have um, an ID that can, uh, act, for example, the account ID, the, the call ID, or the interaction ID. Uh, needs, needs to be the same for the whole company. Uh, if you have um, if you have a call, uh, this call can go on through multiple products, but we try to we strive to have the same ID for in each one of the events of the different products, so that when we try to do some uh, analysis, we can just do a join by the ID and um, uh, make it easier for the analysis. Um, we had some. Uh, I, uh, we had an issue that uh, we had a different team, that a new team that um, was building um, a new product, and the ID was completely different. And uh, when they went uh, to the analytics team to ask for some insights and to do a mix-up with the calls and make sure that everything is okay, we just couldn't do it. Um, <laughs> we had to ask them, okay, uh, this is great, what you are doing is great, but Please, please um, use the um, use this ID for us. Um, and we try to uh, what we try to do is um, have this uh, this common practices between the whole company for that, and to enforce uh, this is something that we are working on. Uh, first, we are everything that we are work on is with JSON, 
so we don't have much of um, schema in force of the events. Uh, we have some documentation. This is documentation is actually is actually good. I would say that <laughs> uh, we have been able to uh, cooperate um, very well uh, up until now. Uh, we have um, we have almost no issues um, uh, because we have um, a culture of cooperating and working on and uh, building um, as much as possible on the work uh, that was um, that was there before. But yeah, um, some issues can happen, and uh, having some enforced with a schema registry uh, could help. Um, and that's something that uh, we are working on to improve. Yeah, this is. I started to to do some deep dive into data contracts just because, like, the schema enforcement and all that. Some people call it all sorts of different things, but it's 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 a difficult challenge, and and you want to provide the domain teams with the ability to continue to evolve their application schema, but not have that break all the other schema, right? Like it's, it's very difficult. So you, you started with uh, the data platform built around the first data product, but like, how are you recognizing when you need to evolve that data platform? What's coming up that's making you say, Oh, we need to change this, or we need to add this feature. Or what, what what are the signals that people should look for, or or you know what signals are you looking for for that? We try to have a couple of these uh, and define some um, uh, some metrics. One of these is um, as we need to uh, we need to make it as easy as possible. So we try to talk with the developers and have um, get their feedback on. How to make it easier for them to start using the data platform? Hey, can you go from having to do ten steps and take a whole week to do this to go to just um, add this simple line and start to producing events? We take it from there. Uh, so first one is take feed feedback from the your own clients. It's internal clients, but nonetheless, it's clients. Um, the second, uh, the second one is have, uh, we are data driven. Uh, we are a data platform, so we also need to have metrics for ourselves, and um, we strive to have uh, things like um, the usage of the data platform, how many queries are being done, uh, what is the um, the lag of the the, uh, the lag of the pipelines, um, are these data sets being used or not, uh, what are the the number of errors. Um, we have all of these metrics um, to be a North Star. And uh, from that on, we try and make some technical and organizational decisions um, f um, on how to improve the data platform and make it easier for everyone to decide to use it. Are you more focused on making it easier for data producers or, or how are you making it easy for data consumers? Is everybody data literate enough to be able to go and pull data from streams and things like that? Or, or how, how do you think about that balance between adding features to make it more easier for the producers versus the consumers? For this, we have... Um... Uh, yeah, we defined some contracts um, in this case. In this case, for the end user, um, where see, in a quick, we have a live API, 
so that um, a REST API, so that uh, we can uh, just query the data and get real-time data. data. Uh, we also have a SQL query for in case the in case uh, someone can wants to retrieve the data and uh, knows how to work with um, a Jupyter notebook or even work with um, um, with SQL only. Uh, but we also have the, the Looker dashboard, and for that we try to have um, uh, depending on the uh, on the end user. Uh, we try and have different um, interfaces. So um, uh, in some cases, we have um, some managers that uh, just want to use Looker and have a dashboard for them. And with a click and uh, click of a button, get a, a, the new dashboard, uh, add some filters. And we have that uh, provided by the um, analytics team uh, or even to, um, the clients, the external customers, they can use Looker for that and also just uh, use an existing dashboard that we provide and uh, get the data. If they need uh, uh, something more, we provide um, the access to the REST APIs to get the data um, has the, in the same way that we actually use um, we use our own APIs to pro to get the data. Okay, that's that's interesting. And, and um, one thing that. I've been seeing on the consumer side is people are really confused about um, data discovery and data discoverability, right? So how do you make this as, as easy to find and then actually get and understand and all that uh, relative to what data is available uh, for consumers? So how are you tackling that? Or is that kind of, we, we do our documentation and we hope that the consumers understand what data is out there or how, how are you approaching that? Currently, what we do is um, uh, for the end user, we provide um, a documentation that uh, requires heavy hand, uh, handwork and a lot of curation. Um, for the explaining how each dashboard works, uh, the field, each field, what it does, uh, how uh, how it can be joined with uh, another data set. Uh, this is very manual. Uh, we have something in the works more for internal users using um, that we are researching currently. There are a lot of um, data catalogs that are appearing in the in the industry. Um, currently. We are taking a, a careful look into each one of those. Um, either it's from Amunds and um, Atlas. Uh, there are multiple ones that are appearing. And these ones can help to bring everything that we are currently do and make it more discoverable, easier to understand the data comes from A and goes to this table. And this is all the processes between. And this is actually the meaning of the column. Um, so currently a lot of curation, a lot of manual work, it's kind of hard, but it has proven reliable, uh, and we are currently um, in the process of training and automate some of this. Yeah. I, I talked early in the early days about, uh, we need some tooling to really, really help automated documentation, especially documentation changes. Right of hey, um, 
you know, maybe it even creates some sample test data and it goes, here's what you had in these columns before. And if I run the same thing against it, here's what it came out after. And there was differences. So you are required to update the documentation about this column. And like, how, how can we do that? <sighs> you know, like um, it's, it's difficult, especially when you think about um, downstream data products of it's consuming something upstream. So it doesn't have control as to what that upstream changes happen and, and how do you communicate up and downstream cha- changes. But I, I do think that there's a lot of manual work that needs to be done up front to get people also in that mode of caring about what, what, and, and having intention around what, why are we doing this? Why does this thing matter? Like if, if this column, if I'm going to write the column, I'm like, ah, oh, this is so stupid. Why, why do I have to write this thing about this column? And then you go, this actually is kind of a stupid column. Should we even have it? It, it can generate those conversations too. So. Yeah. There's a, uh, my take on this is very particular. I think uh, that current uh, most of the um, uh, things that we ha- we had before are were uh, proprietary. They only worked with a specific um, technology. And uh, okay, you if you use everything from our tools and uh, you pay us, you can get this documentation and even get it as um, as automated as possible. But what I, I found is that we are in constant change. We have new databases, we have new processes that are appearing, and we need to have um, uh, we need to make this um, as simple as possible. We need to make uh, create a format um, for this open uh, for this metadata, so that a column in a table is also a column in another table. A processing of um, of uh, the processing of the data is the same as processing on another system, um, and we need to create this uh, open format for everyone to use because new products will appear, and we can t- automate this. Um, and I would say that um, standardization of the metadata would be great. And and it's funny because I was just about to say what what I've kind of heard is that standardization is is typically the enemy because it means that you don't have the flexibility but standards are the are the crucial thing and so it's like if you need to have a one off we need to talk about it and you need to make a little bit of a case etsy back in like 2010 or 2011 they had a tech stack and and they said look if you're building a, a microservice and you don't want to use our standard stack, that is fine, but you need to one, tell us why, and two, you need to support it yourself. And so like that, those, like the standards versus you must conform to X, it's like, okay, you have to, or you should conform to this, but if you don't, you need to kind of justify, and and Intuit talked about this with their um, event uh, schema standards, where they said, look, we have our, our central standards. We have you know two or three ways that you can store this data. And if you go outside of it, great, but you have to support it entirely yourself <laughs> and you have to document it way better than anything else. And uh, you know, open metadata is trying to do like the, the standards around metadata, but nobody's really 
playing with it right now. And, and I'm kind of trying to get people to think about your data product should broadcast out its metadata instead of it's a direct one-to-one link because you know it, it, you have to create all these one-to-one links instead of it broadcasts out and you have listeners and then you can kind of mark where was this metadata created so you're not pulling in the same metadata and this you know five different times into a system but like I, I would love for people to to do that but as you said it's it's not there yet <laughs> nobody's really done it yeah. correctly oh I would say that open metadata is um, I would say it's the first great example of this. Um, it's, uh, but yeah, there's a lot of work being done. Uh, I would say that um, it uh, it takes a while to pick up a standard. Uh, after it starts, everyone needs to support it. Uh, we couldn't go on with the internet if we didn't have a, a specification standard for the HTTP. <laughs> there, uh, it could be it would be chaos, and in the kind of um, data mesh is. Kind of good because it standardizes some good practices, and data mesh is actually a standardization of some uh, best practices. And say, hey, just start to use some of these ideas um, because my idea from the it's really interesting. But uh, my idea from the the data world currently is that um, there's a lot of ideas. There's for each for each idea there's uh, ten and one hundred new products appearing. There's an explosion of um, of things occurring, and um, eventually we'll need to standardize. And uh, in a couple of years, I think uh, I hope uh, I think data mesh will really be one of these ideas that will uh, to, to will be ingrained into the industry. But yeah, we need to standard. We need to start standardizing and uh, deciding what are good and what are bad ideas. Uh, That's the thing is is the anti patterns. I, I think we don't want to say this is best practice. One because ThoughtWorks literally hates that phrase, and so Jamac will never <laughs> will never be happy with the phrase best practice. But um, but I also don't think that it is that there are best practices in like the super low level concepts because. It is very um, customized for your own organization, but there are things that uh, approaches that are best practices to approaches. It's not like best practices using these four tools, but like thinking about it in this way is is a, a best practice, or or not just trying to copy paste what other people are doing is best practice. <laughs> yeah, uh, a great example that I like to give is the uh, currently one. One technology that we are using uh, for doing some pipelining uh, mm-hmm. is the is DBT. DBT is one tool that um, um, data transformation tooling uh, is a technology that we actually use, and uh, it's really easy for the transformation of data. It uses SQL, defines it defines some constraints, and uh, actually by defining some constraints and saying what you can and what you cannot do, what I found is that there have been multiple people that were using multiple tools, and currently they just say, "I prefer this." It just tells me, uh, in a kind of way, it just points me to the right direction. Say, if you just standardize and start using some of these good ideas or common ideas, we can actually do a lot more than uh, say that's a free for all. Um, I, I talk a lot about um, providing blueprints. 
And and I think that blueprint for everybody, because otherwise, you know, the interview question, tell me about yourself. Terrible question, because it's just like, what? Versus, oh, okay, uh, you know, and I know you're, you're a fan of, of board games. So like, tell me about your favorite board game and why, you know, like, that's a much better conversation than um, just like this, this, it's very, very difficult to imagine things whole cloth. And that's where that's honestly why I'm doing the podcast is to like make it so that people can feel like they're not the only ones that are facing these challenges, but also to give enough perspective, right? Multiple perspectives from folks to, to have uh, a, uh, to create their own picture, right? That it's, it's not that you have to copy this painting. It's, Hey, we're going to teach you how to paint <laughs> and do it that way. Um, so you you obviously have uh, been pretty integral and involved in this journey from from kind of the inception day one. What advice would you give people, whether that's advice on the data platform, whether that's advice on the organizational side? What if someone were to say, "I'm I'm thinking about data mesh," what what would you tell them maybe to do, and what would you tell them don't do? <laughs> Um, what uh, I, I would say that um, there's no one way to do this. So um, accept that um, change will be constant. What is true today is not true tomorrow. And uh, start by defining some some contracts. Uh, not techno- not uh, the technology may change, but uh, sometimes defining. Um, a standardization of the how to interact um, can be better than saying everything everything will be done with X technology and uh, this is really great. This will be um, what we are going to use in 10, 20 years. That's not usually the case, but some uh, standardizations of um, of the ideas of contracts between the um, uh, can be really great and go um, in a great uh, can help uh, bring data platforms and bring data mesh to the um, communities. Another thing <laughs> is to define what are the expectations. Start simple. Uh, start by using a simple use case. Um, we started by uh, defining a simple uh, and single data product. Uh, and work iteratively. I try to be. Um, don't try to enforce and uh, push down the data mesh into um, into each one's throat. Uh, show show why it's a good idea. Don't enforce it. Uh, I think um, data mesh is really great, but um, I think uh, day by day will uh, this will be shown by. Um, how uh, we are not constantly rewriting the platform and we are able to um, to pick up the changes uh, through time. And, and uh, how did you show people that it's a good idea? Like when you talk to a lot of companies, they're struggling with getting the domain teams to want to be involved. So was it was it showing them the vision or was it showing them the tooling and being like, hey, this, this we're going to make this as easy as possible for you? How did you drive that? 
one uh, one example that I like to give is the fact that um, uh, by deciding that uh, okay, uh, let's define a, a single SQL interface, but um, we can have multiple databases. We uh, we can't be constrained by a single database. What what this led to is that um, we had a, a migration from a, a, a database to a different one, a completely migration from one to another. And from the analytical standpoint, we actually had to do a rename. Uh, there was a lot of engineering. There was a lot of uh, work being done by the product teams uh, to work on the data set. But uh, at the end, uh, when it was time to move um, to move our, our pipelines to from one uh, database to another, it was just uh, renaming. Uh, <laughs> Uh, I, I actually it work sometimes in doing uh, uh, migrations and when I <laughs> when this occurred and I, I was going to decide how much work I, we had to do for this new task of migration oh my god a new migration okay it's, it's just a renaming uh, I got sold up to the idea yeah, it's, oh. it's it's one of those things where you go this 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 didn't work right because this was too easy right <laughs> yeah right. <laughs> <laughs> That's, yeah, that's actually my reaction. Uh, yeah, I mean, if you, if you set it up right, it, it can be really, really easy. So, um, well, uh, this has been really great. I think it's going to help a lot of people, especially just kind of thinking about how much of this is a through line that I keep hearing is kind of the iteration, everything has to evolve. So you have to get your data consumers, like your data analytics team, has to be aware that things are going to evolve as well and, and kind of having room for some failure and just being able to have those conversations about like, hey, we're not going to get it right perfectly from the start, but we're going to work together and, and be kind of a, a, a team organization. But is there is there anything that we didn't talk about that you think is really important for people to know about Data Mesh, whether it's good ways to go down, bad ways to go down, um, anything like that? Uh, I would say that um, be open-minded uh, to new ideas. Um, to, there are lots of things that uh, roadblocks that um, will need to take on and need to um, talk um, and decide on what will be the best approach. Uh, Data Mesh solves a lot of things that we had in the past, uh, but as everything new uh, new challenges will appear and uh, we need to work uh, we should work together and um, be open-minded to new ideas and solutions I, I like that a lot I think that's a, a great uh, message to end on so um, where can people find you where and what do you want them reaching out to you about um, you can reach me on Twitter or on LinkedIn I'm uh, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll drop the links in the show notes so that way you don't have to. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. And uh, and then what what if people have questions or what what do you want people circling up with you about? Do you have topics that you want people to come to you? Whether that you know if they've got answers about or what do you want people reaching out to you about? If you have any doubts, if you have um, if you are having issues. Uh, uh, and want to talk a, a bit about uh, how to tackle this. Um, Data Mesh can be very different from a startup to a big company. Uh, and 
whatever it is, it is on the middle. Uh, so I think, yeah, there's a lot uh, of situations where um, different uh, kinds of architectures can um, can be considered data mesh. And uh, yeah. I'm open to discuss uh, um, good and bad ideas. Well, and I think the centralization, decentralization, I think it's it's that, you know, you've got your analytics team is, it sounds like it's kind of a centralized data team of sorts. And that's, to me, is not an anti-pattern in a lot of these cases. Whether people might call that data mesh or not, I don't really care. It's like, okay, that's useful for your size and your um, stage of your journey. So I, I think um, the more that we can talk about that is is helpful. So uh, as I said, this has been awesome. Thank you so much, uh, Jose. This is, is going to help, I think, a lot of people and, and thank everyone for listening. I'd again like to thank my guest today, Jose Cabeda, data engineer at the call center as a service provider, TalkDesk. You can find his contact info in the show notes as per usual. Hopefully that interview episode was really useful for you. Please do consider getting in touch with guests from the show, from these episodes. Most have said they'd really love people to reach out to them. And please, as well, if you've got a minute, rate and review the podcast somewhere. It really is honestly super helpful for other people looking into kind of data podcasts to kind of get this in front of them. Data Mesh Radio is again provided as a free community resource by Data Mesh Understanding. It's produced and hosted by me, Scott Herleman. April of 2023, I left Datastacks, who were wonderful in getting the Data Mesh community stuff started, so give them a shout for streaming and real-time AI needs. But I left to start my own industry analyst kind of information-as-a-service firm. Our offerings are affordable, and you can do them on a one-off or a month-to-month basis. You know, read kind of, throw it on the credit card. Don't worry about like going through purchasing and things like that. The services include lots of practitioner roundtables, you know, one-on-one data mesh kind of planning or feedback sessions and tailored introductions to other data mesh practitioners that are focused around your topics of interest. You know, what what are you actually running into challenges with? We also have some free programs around introductions and roundtables that people can kind of check out as well. Check the show notes or just go to datameshunderstanding.com for more info or helpful resources. As always, if you have suggestions for guests or topics, please do get in touch as well and have a wonderful rest of your day. Now let's hear that funky outro music.